Yeah, I know you would give me one. I bet you would, Nickel. I've got stuff that you don't have. Yeah, I know you would. So, yeah, I know you would give me one. I bet you would, Nickel. I've got stuff that you don't have. And when we talk next, I will ask you about them. Okay, I, yeah, that's true, and I probably would go for that then. And if you bring one up, I'll give you a nickel. There you go. Yep, I've lost a few nickels to Patricia, that's for sure. So, again, folks, have a good night. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lynn, and thanks so much for calling. Okay, you folks take care. You too. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And you can give us a call at 714-545-2071. Patricia's got to be a happy bunny rabbit. She comes up with these topics. And we don't have to work. Yeah, everybody can. Uh, what do you mean we don't have to work? I have to go out and fight. Hi. Oh, that's right. That is, that's right. Oh, you oh. put me so much homework. Oh. But we're looking for information about premiums. Did you send in box tops? Did you cut out anything from cereal boxes? Did you find anything in your Cracker Jack boxes? Whatever you have um, or had or know about, give us a call and let us know. About them. Did you discover the big premium that Space Patrol had, Patricia? Oh, ooh, I, you know what? I, I had to stop short before I got to the end of the list that I was looking at. Let me oh. see if I've got a Space Patrol. Probably not. What was on Space Patrol? Space Patrol had an interesting premium, everybody. Maybe you can let us know. 714-545-207. They had a contest, is what I'm thinking of. And space you, Patrol it, Space Patrol. And you have, uh, does anybody know, if you won the contest, what was your prize? For Space Patrol. Space Patrol, the TV series. What okay, now, while we're waiting for Space Patrol, the TV series? Yeah. Is that what you said, the TV series? Yeah. Well, that's cheating. I know, but they also they do radio. I know it. Okay, while we're waiting for somebody who found a premium on Space Patrol television, I want to tell you what I found about a Kellogg's Pep Jet Plane Mechanical Ring Superman promotion. Wow. Isn't this incredible? Wow. 1948. I, I want to read this description to you. It is, this is one that's for sale, by the way, and it was a dealer who has this ad up on the internet, and it is described as brilliant golden luster Covers a ring base with adjustable bands. Left and right upper sides show a jet plane in flight. The ring top, this is a ring that you put on your finger, has a shaft to hold small silver luster jet plane, which shoots into the air when the launching lever is depressed. Now, how's that for a complicated premium? Good grief. And what's this supposed to be? They just cook, cook dinner and everything for you? What the, what is this supposed to be? It, what is it supposed to be? Uh-huh, a ring? It's a ring, yeah, and it's got this jet plane mounted on the top of the ring, and it actually launches. Uh, it's a spring-operated launch. I mean, I can't imagine giving this away to a kid. I wonder how much it costs, but if you wanted to buy it today, it will cost you $175. That's true. Okay, you're on air with Patricia. Hey, Patricia Wells, Bob Rowe. Hello, Bob. How you doing? Good, you? I am fine, thank you. Yeah, I started dialing before all of a sudden it turned to Space Control, uh, Patrol. And to be honest, I don't even remember the television show Space Patrol. What year was that on? 
Between 
speech, you know. That was the, the one that said, are, are you getting sand kicked in your face, or do people kick sand in your face? Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then Charles Altman, you said for his course, in dynamic tension, which was, which was isometrics. Uh-huh. And uh, did then, anyone who sent away for that, or did anyone in your family send away for it? I, I knew kids that did. The thing is, you, you, know, you, had, to, you had to check that you were over a certain age, well, of but I think it ended up being pretty expensive, and I always wondered why in the world they advertised on comic books. But then I guess there's probably a lot of, you know, guys that were in their late teens that, that were kind of, you know, socially not dead <laughs> on reading comic books. I, uh, I don't want to target, see When your target market is comic book readers, it makes you wonder yeah. how they're exercising their fingers. I used to have... Uh, at one time, I think I had somewhere between 500 and 700 comic books. Oh. I, I, if I would have still had those today, they'd be, I'd be a millionaire. Well, if you still had them today and everybody else had them today, then nobody would be a millionaire. You made somebody a millionaire, Bob. What happened to them? I think they ended up getting thrown out. Mother's oh, I just kind of outgrew them, and, and they probably they were in, in boxes. Uh, you know, and, and you just... That, but it's funny, I've always... I always wanted to be a cartoonist uh, growing up. I just uh -huh. was dreamed of that. And so I used to, you know, really study the way different artists would draw. And, uh, but anyway, I just, you know, I had a tremendous comic book collection. What? They all got torn up and stuff. I mean, you know, to, to, to make a lot of money, you have to keep them in mint condition. Well, that's not, that's not what it was about. Yeah. It was about reading them and putting them in your pocket and taking them on sleepouts and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Writing them with your friends. Well, then, am I up high enough? Um, what were your favorite comics? I liked, um, my favorite was with Disney, Scrooge McDuck was my favorite. <laughs> Hands down, Scrooge McDuck. Donald Duck was good, and, and, but there was a lot of them. I loved Little Lulu. Together. 
And I hired a guy named Carl Barks, who was an artist. And he was just pretty much left to his own. You know, he, and he would do these great adventures. And he created a lot of the characters that were related to Donald Duck. Scrooge McDuck, uh, Grandma McDuck. Uh, Daisy, I'm not sure if Daisy was his creation, or Daisy might have predated him. But he created all these great, the Beagle Boys, uh, you know, all of these, these uh, characters that, 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 but because when you worked for Disney, you remained anonymous, he could never get credit for any of these things. Uh-huh. And there was never a credit given in the comic book. And so even though he created all of these characters, they became, you know, they remained the property of Disney, and he sort of... In his later, later years in life, he finally got the recognition that he deserved. But it was kind of sad that, um, you know, he because my generation, man, we just loved those. Scrooge McDuck, they, they would have, sometimes they'd come out with special 100-page comic books, and 80 pages was just one adventure. And it kind of reminds me of, like, I Love a Mystery or something. He was always going off to some foreign place in the world and, and, and being attacked by zombies or something, you know. But, I mean, it was all fun. But they were really great, great adventures. Sounds cool. Yeah, it was. The comic book. Oh, sorry about your comic books. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I had I called her at night and talked to Frank about her months. Oh, okay. I, uh, that, that's right. I just never associated with the TV show. I remember we talked about as a used car dealer. Yeah, I didn't realize it was the same guy. Yeah, where I got with him was he was, uh, he had a huge... Uh, TV shop. This was in the later years of his life, and he used to uh, uh, sell videotape. And I think I told this story when videotape, when VCRs first came out, videotape was extremely expensive. A video cassette could run you about $49, if you can believe that. And, you know, it was only, you know, fairly wealthy people because the, the video cassette, the video recorders were probably eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars when they first came out. Well, what he used to do in uh, several months was he would buy uh, tape at, from RCA, and they, I think they were the only ones that made it at the time, and, and, and his cost was about sixteen dollars a tape. And he would sell it for sixteen dollars a tape. And he would, he would buy millions of dollars worth of tape. Well, the company I worked for financed it. And we gave him 90-day terms because he was so, so his credit was so excellent. So he would sell this stuff off in, in three or four days and then sit back and collect the interest. And that's when the prime rate was like 16%. So that's how he was making his money. That was one of that. He was quite a guy. I talked to him several times. I mean, he wouldn't have known me. But I mean, if, you would have, if I would have said I was the guy from ITT that used to call you, he would know me. But... Um, uh, I, uh, he, he was a really, really nice man, a very funny man, but very innovative. And then Frank had been good friends with him, and Frank went off and told a lot of neat stories about his early TVs and, and then the Muntzmobile. Yeah, he had made his own own car, but that kind of predated me. I don't, uh, I really don't remember that. I remember there was, there was an ad in the LA Times, a picture of, he called himself Mad Mad Muntz, and it was a little picture of Napoleon. A cartoon drawing of Napoleon, and, uh, and that was what his logo was. Yeah. When Lynn talked about Munt's television, I recalled Frank having spoken about that and some of the stories he told about this guy, and I never would have remembered it except the descriptions that Lynn gave us 
and, and plasma. The best picture you could get for a large screen was to, uh, remember they had the three-color system where you would actually have a, uh, like a projector mounted from the roof or sometimes over on the floor, and they would actually project onto a screen. So you could have like a movie screen in a, say, a restaurant or a bar or something. You know, it would be the size of a, you know, a pretty good-sized billboard or something. And if you position your camera right, you could project the TV onto that. And so you would have a very large screen TV. It didn't have the quality, of course, that you have today with a high definition. But, I mean, it was very innovative, and he must have sold a ton of those. Everybody in L.A. had, had one of those things uh, in uh, restaurants. Yeah, first time I ever heard about Mad Man Monk was on an Amos and Andy radio show uh, where they sold the the French car, and that was the first time I ever heard the name Mad Man Monk. Uh, so he must have been totally so well known in LA that national radio shows would have picked up and used that sort of a running gag. Wow. Hmm. Well, Roland, did you ever interview or uh, uh, set up an interview with Mercedes McCambridge? I never did. Uh, the Gassmans um, had her speak at Spurvac, um, and I probably played one of the Mercedes McCambridge interviews I have that she did with Carlton Morris in about two weeks or so. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, yeah, so it'll be part of the Ray Bream interview on Sunday night, and so it'll be, uh, not tomorrow, it'll be like around next week, the, the 11th. Okay. So I'll run that one, and she was on with her. Because she just adored working with Carlton Morris and Hyman Brown. Those were the two guys that really... Uh, uh, she adored doing a lot of radio. the greatest voice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a really good actress, yeah. She just really had a great voice. I just feel almost as good as Patricia's. Uh, you're, you're right up on top of the list again, Bob. Thank you. I was having fun in the chat room tonight, so I get off and let somebody else call. Get to talk to you guys. Say hi to the folks in the chat room, please. Will do. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling, Bob. You betcha. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're doing good tonight, Patricia. I know. This is such a great thing that I found. I have to tell you, I told you um, about Superman shows that I, I found today. Yep. Um, so I have a really nifty Superman collection that I didn't have before, which is really neat because we're going to be talking with Michael Haid, who has, I believe the name of the book is Sights of Fancy. Is that correct? You got it. Okay. And we will be talking with him in a couple of weeks. So, for trivia at night, I will have a million squillion Superman shows. But while I was squirreling around the shows, I came across a word contest. It was a hidden word contest, and it was it was early on. It was oh, it wasn't early on. It was late. It was um, February second, nineteen forty-eight. They started announcing winners. I'm not sure what the setup was. Some of these hidden word contests were just so convoluted and. Um, it, 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 I, I couldn't figure them out. I don't know how the kids did. But apparently, they had an overwhelming response. It was one that they absolutely drowned. One of the announcers, or the announcer, was talking about sacks and sacks of mail coming. And he said, these are not bags, boys and girls. These are the big post office canvas bags that were coming in canvas bags. And he kept asking for patience because they had so many cards to read. I don't know what the hidden message was. But for 10 days in a row, so it would have been two weeks, five days in five days, they announced 100 winners per show for 10 shows. 
you imagine showing up with post office canvas bag sacks of postcards from kids? How do you pick? You just close your eyes and pick them out, I yeah. guess. Yeah. What if they pick stuff like this? I don't know. Can you listen to some kids shows that had uh, prizes for bicycles and, and all sorts of prizes and they had to select? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had more than one entry. Oh, and uh, indeed they yeah. did. I mean, some of them had, oh my goodness, uh, you know, 100 bicycles at a time, which is, is just, it, it's just mind-boggling that they would have giveaways on that size and scope on, on 15-minute kid shows. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just amazing what they did. And I don't know, people may or may not know why they did those types of things. Can you, you know why, Patricia? Why did they have giveaways and premiums? Well, the, the premiums for the products, of course, were promotions to get people to buy the products, but they gave some of these away with uh, shows that didn't even have sponsors mm-hmm. had giveaways. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing, and you're going to help me correct myself. Well, it was the early days for them to tell for ratings. It was a marketing tool. And so that's how sponsors knew they had listeners. Uh-huh. Or that's how radio stations would say, this show brings these, mo- these many people in. So, but what about the shows that didn't have any sponsors? Well, for the network, they had, a, they had a judge for popularity. So they know those were viable shows or not. Sure. And that, of course, would be a marketing tool to get sponsors. Right. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the Superman goodies were, were just incredible. There was one I came across. Oh, I don't have a date on this one. A gyrocket. I, had to, I kept going back and I'm thinking, skyrocket? No, it was gyrocket. So I'm assuming it was spelled like a gyroscope, a yep. G-Y rocket. And it was advertised as almost half a foot long. I don't know what almost half a foot long and probably two inches, but yeah. um, almost it would be almost six inches. And wow. it was in wood. It was made out of wood in blue, red, or yellow. It had a metal launching rod and a wooden rocket launcher. Now, that's those were the descriptions. I'm not sure what you had to do with this thing in order to get it in the air. But that's a pretty elaborate setup for a giveaway. And it took 15 cents and a Kellogg's pop, uh, a pep box, a Kellogg's pep box top. Say that one fast three times. <laughs> but the address just it tickled me. We have been talking about addresses periodically, how abbreviated they are, how quickly people could get mail from point A to point B with such little information on the envelope. And this one was sent to Superman, Box 124, New York 8, New York. And New York City used to be divided into zones. And it would have zone two, zone three, and, uh, you know, Brooklyn three, New York. And this was in New York 8. So there was only one bank of post office boxes in this entire zone in the middle of New York City. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. In fact, I'll have a story about that in a few minutes. Uh, while Bob was digging it, you guys spurred me on to look for a story in my, in my story collection. Okay. About premiums, oh. and I'll play that, and I'll play that in a bit once we'll, we'll have find time to queue this up. Uh-huh. In fact, you know our friend Ron is a wonderful musician. Everybody, he's from Hawaii. Uh huh. And he sent out a brand new CD. 
and I got a copy of it. I know, and I think he's going to send you one too, Patricia. I have it in the envelope. I picked it out of the mailbox, and I haven't opened it yet. Shame on me. Well, please. I opened my copy, and I want to play one of the songs. Okay, do that. Yeah, so, and we'll, why don't I play one of the songs while I'm trying to queue up this one thing about premiums. And here's our good friend, Ron from Hawaii, everybody. This is live radio. Here we go. Okay, ready, set, okay. One, two, three, go! Patricia, his high school decided to get get together and put on a concert. I love it. That's amazing. Well, and Ron from Hawaii, I hope you're listening tonight. You can always, always give us a call. But Patricia, you know, we've been talking about premium. Uh-huh. And Bob Wines, back in 1979, had Curry Bradley in the studio. Curry Bradley with Tom Mix. Yep, I remember that. And he tells a very special story about radio premiums. And I'm going to play that now. Oh, great. So, this is a great story, everybody. If you got a tape recorder, roll this. So, 
Patricia and I will be back in about five or ten minutes. Here we go. Stuff. A lot of mothership <laughs> problems in those days. I didn't do that. <laughs> Did you ever get any real uh, uh, flack or any uh, problems with uh, people coming up to you like on a personal appearance and saying, Oh, yes, I sure did. Tell us some stories about some of the PAs that you did uh, in, in relation to the time Keller. Well, uh, I think the one the most poignant and the one that sticks out in my mind the most was I was making an appearance at the Coney Island in, uh, now I don't confuse that with New York, but there was a little Coney Island in Cincinnati. And they had a little boat that went down there called the River Queen. And I had Tony up there and uh, my little band. And uh, we were doing our show. We had a uh, little stage built 20 by 20. And I would take Tony up on the stage, on the stage and get him to do his tricks. And I would sing a couple of numbers, and then that was the deal. And uh, Tony would just go down the ramp and crawl right up in his trailer with nobody happening. And uh, so the last, this Sunday afternoon, and uh, it was the last show. It was about, oh, I guess, maybe 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the evening. And Tony went up into the ramp, and then, of course, I always, they had asked me to sign one or two autographs or whatever was there. And I walked down the ramp, and I had Tony's bridle in my hand, and just putting it up in the trailer. And I heard this little boy crying, just like his little heart would break. And I saw, I looked around, I saw him standing over the back tree, all by himself. And I, the first thing that flashed in my mind was, uh-oh, we got a little boy that's lost. So I went over to him, and I said, uh, hello there, little fellow, how are you? And he was crying. He said, I don't like you. And I said, oh my, you don't like me, do you know who I am? He said, uh, you're Curly Bradley Comics, but I don't like you. And I thought, oh God, I'm into it now. And I looked around, actually, in desperation. I wanted to find this pap pretty quick, because I didn't know what to do here now. And there was a fellow standing just about 10 feet away, up against another tree. And he said to me, Ernie, okay, you go ahead and explain it to him, I can't. And I thought, oh, man, I'm really in the suit. This is bad. So uh, I asked the little boy what was the matter. And he told me he hadn't gotten his whistling ring. <laughs> and I said, you mean you haven't gotten it yet? Well, this is maybe six or eight weeks after it had gone off. Oh, yeah. And he said, no. And the little fellow sobbing all this time. And uh, I said, well, how come you didn't get it? He said, I don't know. I said, well, did you send in your dime in the box top? Uh-huh. Would you believe Tony? 
struggling uh, academically and just didn't have anything. He, did, he took a personal in, kid. And the only thing they loved was his horse, Tony. So he said, I promise, if you get your grades up and pass high school, I'll give you Tony. And he did. Gave him? Yes. Gave away Tony? Gave away Tony. The horse? The horse. Oh, dear. Oh, that's, that's a hard part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But How could it, you give him? Oh, I don't want to talk about uh, that. But it, it, somebody knew, but he was just a struggling kid, a little youngster, so it, he got his grades, you know, took several years. Uh-huh. He passed high school and college, but he gave him Tony. It's it the hardest thing for him to do, you know, to uh, drive off and have Tony run and shake his head goodbye. Yeah, 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Could you have done that? It have been awful hard. I, I, you know, I, I'm such a sentimentalist, uh, you know, it would bust in my heart, but he helped a kid out. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, folks, call in with your premium information or you're stuck with listening to me for another couple of minutes about what the Kellogg's company gave away in addition to the Kellogg's Pep Jet Plane Mechanical Ring. In 1948, they also, between, <laughs> this is amazing, 1928 through 1936, that's eight years, they gave away muffin tins, gave away muffin tins, so that, and they called them high-grade muffin tin in the store. You could get them in the store, and they were free, and they were designed to encourage consumers to use Kellogg's high fiber products. You made muffins out of them. That's great. Wow. I think that was pretty good. And wow. they also, in the 1930s, they had measuring cups. They were really kitchen oriented here, uh, far more so um, than I would have imagined for cereal. I mean, it, it's generally considered a kid oriented thing. I mean, today we've got these health oriented fiber foods and cereals and all sorts of neat goodies that are supposed to be heart healthy. But Back in those days, it was pretty much a kids' market with cereal. So uh, it surprised me to find that they had gone quite heavily into the adult and especially the kitchen market. But they also offered measuring cups. I thought that was neat. Free gift collection. Sure. Uh, they called them utilitarian premiums that came in pink and green. And they came out about the same time as Kellogg's All Brand. So that followed the. Um, Let's see, it was, and it was followed by a free Kellogg's imprinted wooden mixing spoon. So they were really into kitchen goodies, too. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that. I certainly didn't know that. 714-545-2071, her number. Give us a call, please. And tell us what Chandu the Magician gave away. 714-545. 2071. Now, uh, John Aston has been playing, or was playing, the entire Chandu the Magician series. So people who were listening to Don's tape periodically would have picked up somewhere along the line what Chandu was giving away. This was a magician. He was the star of the show. So that's your hint for now. Then I found, and I asked you the other day, did you know Fibber McGee and Molly had a premium? You were the one who told me they had a premium. <laughs> <laughs> I say, oh gosh, look what I found. Uh, Fibber McGee and Molly had a premium that was given away, the show that um, I listened to anyway. It was uh, the Streetcar Motorman McGee show from April 20th, 1936. And Harlow Wilcox was announcing a premium, a spinning top. Only you didn't just get a spinning top, you got a pair of spinning tops. And I guess, you know, just little kid toys that you spin with your finger and they stood on their end and just spun until they fell over and then you did it again. But you didn't have to send any box tops. Of course, Johnson's Wax didn't have any box tops, but you had to trace the words Johnson's Wax on a piece of paper and send that in and you would get your tops. But people were sending in 
handwritten Johnson's Wax, so you knew that they had not purchased the product. And Harlow went um, so far as to say, you have to send the actual tracings or you're not going to get your tops. And I, I thought, it said, his quote was, no tops, I, I type these things out, no tops can be sent unless your tracing is made from an actual can of Johnson's Wax. Now, the first week I listened to, it was send, it, uh, send your request to Fibber and Molly Care of the Station. That's all. Fibber and Molly Care of the Station. So it would have gone to your local station. But when he went to no tops can be sent unless your tracing is made from an actual can of wax, they changed it and said mail it to Johnson's Wax, Racine, Wisconsin. That was the entire address. Everybody knew what Johnson's Wax was and where Johnson's Wax was made. So you sent it to Johnson's Wax, Racine, Wisconsin, and I am guessing that the company finally, this is a guess now, that the company pulled in the reins and said, wait a minute, you're giving away things to people who haven't even bought our products. Let us take care of it. So I guess the local stations were sending out toys to people who had not actually met the requirements. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, it sounds like it to me. Very good deduction. Yeah, only because the address changed so suddenly mm -hmm. that it went directly to corporate headquarters as opposed to the local stations handling the onslaught of requests. Sure. I have no idea how many they gave away, but thank you for putting me on to that one. Did I you just, ever find a picture of it on the, online? I didn't. I didn't look. Okay. And you asked me about that, too. Um, I, I kind of... Shame on me, I ran a little short on time today, so... You know, Patricia just complains, he just gets homework after homework... Oh, he after... does, he gives me so much homework, I, I, I'm really sorry, I wasn't even complaining on that I one. know, I know, I'm just my, lo <laughs> my lovable tease, you know. Well, I did say I was going to do it, okay. and I... well, you can do it. And I forgot that we were on, you know, I, I didn't really forget, but I, I kind of got a little lackadaisical during the day, um... Well, didn't set aside enough time is what happened. I well, mean, it's my fault. I, well, you know, you can always look for one this week. I will do that. I did find a picture of Little Orphan Annie shake-up mug. Oh, yeah. And Captain Midnight also offered a shake-up mm -hmm. mug, and they were both Ovaltine, of course. But um, anybody who is familiar with the shake-up mug, please call, because that was a really nifty giveaway, and they're still available and in premium condition, uh, excellent condition, it's not even premium condition, which means it's been used, but it's in good shape, <clears throat> excuse me, I came across one listed for $95, so it's apparently fairly difficult, or not difficult, it's not uh, terribly easy to find one with a cap, you can find the, the cup, but the whole thing is a unit. You screw on the cap, you shake up your Ovaltine mix, you unscrew the cap, and then you've got it in a cup or a mug. So um, people are losing <laughs> the mug tops or had lost the mug tops. They're not quite as available as the bottoms. Wow. Wow. 714-545-2071 our number. 714 545 2071. Good stuff. Great stuff. I asked earlier, what, what radio personality tried out for the British Open in golf in 1950? I'll give you a clue. Wait, when you say the name, I'm going to say, I knew that. Yep, I'll give you a clue. He also was a professional boxer. Oh my goodness, that's a 
Mm-hmm. So if you know your radio lore history, you know who he is. And, in fact, he was a comedian. In fact, there are two comedians in radio who were professional boxers. Well, Max Bear was, but I don't think he was in radio, was no, he? Uh, Max Bear, let me think. Max Bear was... Yeah, no, I don't think Rosie... No, I don't think so. don't think Max was. But these were not these weren't very good boxers, but they were they. Oh, so he, yeah. Okay. He was, they were they, they were and they both have successful radio shows. I think they were both were number one in the country at one time or another. Oh, so they had their own shows. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Boxer. Boxer. What radio comedians were boxers? Oh, okay. Radio comedians, everybody. Hal Perry. No, wasn't Hal. Willard. Wasn't Willard. Was not even G- close. It wasn't Fibber, I know that. Yeah, it was not Fibber or Gildersleeve. Wasn't, wasn't. Ah. Somebody's got an answer. Oh. Well, is it about the kid who's the magician? Oh, well, hey, that's Patricia's trivia question. You can't well, answer that one either, but... You don't... Oh, gosh, well, that's okay. What is the one I didn't hear? What do I do on the answer? Well, you probably do know the answer. The, the answer... The question is, what two famous radio comedians who had number one shows earlier in their life were professional boxers? Oh, God. I can take a guess. Alright. Uh, Red Stanton? Nope. Nope, wasn't Red. Uh, Bob Hope. Ring the bell for Patricia. You know what? He did a couple of skits in boxing gloves. There you go. So, it was Bob Hope who tried out for the British Open in 1950, and earlier today he was a boxer. He went by the name Packy East. His buddy was Packy West, and Bob Hope at the boxer went under the name Packy East. Not got, got, got knocked, not got knocked out, knocked around. He went into dancing school. So. Okay. So the other radio comedian was also a boxer. Can you? Jack Ready? No, wasn't Jack. Uh, he was he was part of a great twosome. I'm thinking George Burns. No, wasn't George. The radio series started in 1942. They had their own show by around 1941-42. They were the hottest thing in radio for a while. Phil Harris? Nope, wasn't Phil. <laughs> Fred Allen, we're coming through wasn't the whole Fred. Here. Wasn't Fred. <laughs> you're, getting warm you're getting warm because you're eliminating answers. We're running out of people. Of course we're getting warm. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't that many left. Uh, I have I have had his her, his daughter on the show. Yeah. Um. Other daughters, Joan Benny was on the I show, know. but it's not Jack. I know. Uh, unfortunately, he only made it to the age of fifty-one. Oh. He, um. he passed away in nineteen fifty-seven. He come from Patricia old stomping grounds. He said he was he was born in New Jersey. 
Uh, New Jersey. Jersey. Well, he, I don't have a clue. He was uh, he and his partner uh, were the hottest thing in radio. Was it Robert Adler? Was it Oh, oh, pick me, pick me. Patricia. Pick me. Was it Lou Costello? Correct. It was Lou oh, Costello. Yep, it was Lou. I don't get a prize. You do Wait, too. You don't get one either. We were terrible. <laughs> Of it. 
That's, that's what I paid 20 bucks for. And Dad, who, they were trying to teach me a lesson, but they actually felt bad and got, they got the check the check stop that they used and everything. Because they really thought the album was going to be in there. They were just teaching me a lesson on, you know, hey, you're going to pay for it from now on. Did the lesson work? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it did. I'm very skeptical now of of anything I see on, on TV or any of that stuff. Oh, wow. Um, I've ordered stuff since then, but... Not, not, not as much. But I'll never forget that. Yeah, I opened it up. There was no album in the friggin' thing. And I, and I also wondered how many people, if, it, if that was an honest mistake, or if that was a, a legitimate scam, and if it was, how many people would actually scammed with it? Yeah, and how many people would follow it up? Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't bother. You, you pay for it. The hell with it. Da da da. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I'll, I'll never, that, that that stuck in my mind, too. It's like, oh, man. Um, but he's always telling me, you know, don't buy stuff off TV. It's a rip-off. It's a rip-off. <laughs> um, and so that one year, they decided to teach me a lesson, and they didn't know how appropriate it was, because, like I said, it opened up the no damn album. Surprise, surprise, Fred. You bought yourself a present. Yes, I did. I had a $20, $20 picture. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think I still, I only think I saved. Oh, what a smart man your dad was. Yep, that was, uh, that was quite a thing. Um, but no, we made today, though, it's amazing how different we are. I just did one t the other day for uh, some paper I bought at Brooks's. Nowadays, you can go online and have it done in two seconds without the hassle. Mm-hmm. And you get, you know, you get checks, you print checks out sometimes. Right. And then you print her. Wow. How's your weather up there? Great. It was 70, 70 degrees today, 72 degrees. Are you melted? Is there any snow left? Uh, no, not here. There is up in the mountains. But down here where I'm at, no. But I'm probably, oh, three miles away from it if I want to go to it. Because um, it stays up on the mountains for a while, but I have no desire to go to see snow. I've seen enough of it this winter. You had quite enough this winter. I have a question for you. Did you ever buy Cracker Jacks and get the little toys out of Cracker Jacks? Yeah, but I was the uh, era where you got all the cheap stuff. Yeah. You know, the little like uh, little tiny book that you can barely read, or the plastic rig. All the, all the metal and good stuff, they they give it away to my parents, my dad's generation. And by the time I was growing up, it was all the cheap toys. I think you still get cheap toys in them. The plastic, uh -huh. oh, they don't last very long, or paper stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I, no, I've not ever had, uh, I don't recall ever having Cracker Jacks. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, you can get like a... I can remember some of the stuff I would get. It's nothing that, like the old toys would be like a little metal car. Something you could save that actually lasts through the years. Huh? The stuff I would get would be like, oh, you might get a little tiny picture that if you move it, it's like a hologram and it moves. Oh, I see. Or uh, one time I got a, a miniature dot-to-dot -dot book and you could barely, I mean, the thing was barely big enough for your thumb. And you could, you know, you kind of do the dot to dot in it, but it was kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, oh, no. I, I can't remember. A lot of plastic things. 
nothing of quality, though. Nothing of real quality, no. Nothing that you would... Nothing like the older toys when they first started doing them. Because um, my dad had a collection of those. That my older that I wanted when he died. My older brother got them. Um, and they're really cool. Like, like toys that he had when he was a kid. Uh-huh. And, and, and a lot of the stuff were out of Cracker Jack boxes. But he saved them. Yeah, he saved them. Good for him. Yeah. But, uh, I love Cracker Jack, so. You <laughs> Do you still eat it? Oh, yeah. Now that. I know as much of the candy as I used to be because I don't have as many teeth left as I used to have, and I'm kind of guarding the ones I got left. Um, so I don't eat as much candy as I used to. Uh, but I, what, what if I do eat, you know, get a sweet tooth, that's one of the things I'll go for. I love Cracker Jacks. Um, Did you ever eat Cracker Jacks? Uh-huh. I'm a, I, I enjoy Cracker Jack. I always like the peanuts. Oh, yeah. You're a peanut kid. I I'm a peanut kid, yeah. 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 I like the caramel corn part of them. Uh-huh. The other part. I just never had enough peanuts, but I, I, I would eat, especially at baseball games, you know. Mm. You would get, we go to a baseball game and all, a lot of time get Cracker Jack, so. Cracker Jack is sticky, isn't it? It is sticky. Caramel. How did you get your hands clean at a baseball game? You go, well, you, you go to the bathroom and wash it. It's addictive. It's one of those things you can't just eat one Cracker Jack. Also, or, you know, if you have a, a, a soda pop, you know, the, uh, um, you know, when you're outside and the... What, oh, the what, moisture on the outside? Yeah, the yeah. So if you use that and napkin, then you clean yourself up. Uh-huh. That's a guy thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fred, are you in the market for some questions tonight? Oh, I'll try. Really okay. I'm getting harder and harder on my questions now. I know. I don't know about this, but we'll give it one shot. I got... I saw it was the last CD you sent me, so... Okay, well, I'm glad you're enjoying them because maybe you'll <laughs> you'll have a problem with these tonight. Okay, oh. first one. First, I'll read all three of them, okay? Okay. These are hard. I think I should have saved them one of these. I'm going to save one of these for a bonus question, and I'll give you something else. Um, let's see here. Okay, we have two members. Oh, that we won't we won't do that one. I'm, I'm I put together some really hard ones here. This is terrible. Okay, here we go. The Great Gildersleeve. What did he do for a living? That's question number one. Question number two is, who did Eddie Anderson play on the Jack Benny program? And number three is, on the December 18th, 1945 episode of Fibber McGee and Molly, Fibber painted a Christmas tree. What color did he paint the Christmas tree? I'll give the first one a shot. Okay. What did the Gildersleeve do for a living? Was he a waterman? He was a water commissioner. You got it. Hooray! The only reason I remember that is my best friend is a water commissioner of our hometown. You're a friendly water commissioner? My, my best friend is the water commissioner of this, our town here. And so I got a kick out of that when I heard him on the show. Okay, well, you're right. He's the friendly water commissioner. Do you know what color Fibber painted his tree? Uh, I can guess. Uh, I guarantee it's not green. <laughs> so, purple. No. Oh, Fred, when did you see a purple Christmas tree? Well, of course, but this is supposed to be off the wall, right? Uh, red. He painted it. White. White. Oh, okay. Did his tree white? 
for the next time. That's when I found out I was colorblind, you know. Say that again, please. Well, I was in second grade. I, painted, I, I drew a tree, and I, I made the tree brown. No, the, the, the tree green and the leaves brown. And, it, and my teacher thought that was strange, so she gave me a colorblind test. And sure enough, I was colorblind. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. When you know you get those pictures? Certain colors I can tell, but you know how you get those pictures in magazines and you see a bunch of dots and they say pick out the number or pick out the letter? Uh-huh. If there are the colors that I'm colorblind, it looks like a bunch of dots to me. There's no letter, there's no number there. They're all the same. They're all the same, yep. The shades. I mean, people think colorblind, you see only black and white. That's not true, but you don't see... Like green and brown are hard for me. Uh-huh. Um, blue and violet, uh, blue and violet, forget it. Like a dark blue and a purple, I can't tell the difference. Um, and like green and brown, red and green, some reds and greens, and some greens and yellows. Uh-huh. Um, depending on the shading, yeah. Oh, how, that, it must be frustrating at times. Oh, well, it can be. When people see different colors from what you're seeing, and they'll describe something, and it doesn't match up with. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, you see something, you see something, you get your own image. Yeah. It is, you know. Hey, this is pick CD time. What would you like? Okay. Well, you said you were doing a bunch of uh, um, what would you say earlier tonight? Again, a bunch of new ones of uh. Oh, Superman. Superman. Yeah, that'd be great. You want Superman? I'd love some Superman. You got Superman. Okay. Okay, I will send you some Superman. Okay. You guys have a good night. Thank you, and thanks for calling in, Fred. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Fred. And you can give us a call, too, everybody. 714-545-2071. Patricia Potluck is open. 714 2071. And, and Dee Do we have any questions out, Patricia? I can't remember. Um, yeah, we do. We had a couple of bonus questions out there. And I did not read out any questions. You're right. The phone has been ringing. Okay. All right. This is a good one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. This is for a free-for-all. Somebody has to call in with a correct answer, and Googling is acceptable. Here are the three questions for a CD. Only answer one correctly, and you've got a CD. In 1941, George Burns and Gracie Allen added a pet. What was the pet? The second question is, in The Great Gildersleeve, what did Horace Hooker do for a living? And in the third question, I want to know, what did Dr. Frankenstein use to bring his monster to life? Now, how's that for an eclectic group of That's questions? Really good. And I want to remind everybody, there are two people who won trivia in the last several weeks who hasn't sent in their address to Patricia. That's and we, we've mentioned at the beginning of the show, but some of those I know might be tuning in later. So, Patricia, you want to recall who they might be? Oh, what a great idea. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I still need an address and a list of shows, Neil. Neil in Las Vegas uh, was going to send me a list of shows that he was having trouble finding, and I was going to check some of my sites to see if I could dig some up. Neil in Las Vegas, you've got to send me an email 
with your wants and your address. And also, Dan, who won the Amos and Andy CD, I've got it ready to send out, but I have no place to send it. So if both of you would send an email to me, that would be terrific. I am at floridawriter at hotdown. Erase that. Erase that. Let me start again. Florida Writer. I am a writer. I write with words. Uh, Florida Writer at hotmail.com. And that's for Neil and Dan. And anybody else who wants to send an email and say hi to me, I would love that. Patricia likes saying hi. I love saying hi. Yeah, yeah, I really do. Yeah. So you can do that at Florida Writer at hotmail.com. Your email is. Uh oh. You think you know it? Alden Hughes at yesterdayusa.com. All right, Patricia. Now, see, that's a, that's a dangerous thing because if I guessed incorrectly, people would be sending your emails to the wrong place. But I trust Patricia. Oh, you're so good. I try. 714-545-2071. We'd love to hear from you. 714-545-2071. Patricia and I would like to... Wish everybody a wonderful Easter tomorrow, if you haven't heard us mention that in the last couple of hours. Correct. And we'd love to have you have a wonderful day tomorrow. 714-545-2071. We yeah. haven't had a new caller tonight. I know. I'm caller. We have not had a first-time caller. So if you are out there listening and you have never called us, please call in. Let us know where you're from how you got to us, and maybe even play trivia with us. Sure. You can just call say hi. I'm listening to you guys from uh, from uh, Dubuque, Montana, or whatever. Oh, I remember. I got a couple more trivia questions. Can you tell me where the Caesar salad came from? Oh, that's right. We're still on the Caesar salad. Yeah. Does anybody know what city created the city Caesar salad? It's not Chicago, it's not New York, it's not in the United States. Not in the United States? And, and it's not Italy. We've already covered those. We're narrowing it down, folks. Yep, and it's not in France. I'll give you a clue. It's in North America. Oh, it is in North America? Yes. Oh, you rascal. Okay. Yes. It's in North America. So that should give you a clue. So if you know how many countries in North America, you'll have a one out of three chance. One out of two. We've already eliminated the United States. Oh, there you go. So you got so you got one out of two countries, then you can figure out. Fifty-fifty. I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'll leave it to someone who has either looked it up or who knows in his heart and head or her heart and head where the Caesar salad was born. That is so cute. That's the Caesar salad. I like to know and like to also. Let me give you a clue about space patrol. I asked what. That's right. What contest did they have? It was a premium that was so large that you could not fit in your house. Does anybody know? Oh, pick me. I do know it. All right, Patricia. Nope, I'm not going to say it. Mm-mm. You're not going to say it? I, I'll say it. You want me to say it? Well, we'll keep it out there for a little while. Maybe hey. maybe uh, people want to call in and, and get that one. 714 545 2071. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw that out there. Okay. Well, we've, we've got, this is really good. And I'll, I'll read my bonus questions that are still out there as well. Sure. So we've got 
Where was Caesar Salad born? Mm -hmm. What was the big, oversized, enormous, huge Space Patrol gift? I, it wasn't even a gift. It was a contest. Right, a contest prize, I guess. It was a contest prize. And I have three regular trivia questions. George Burns and Gracie Allen added a pet in 1941. What was the pet? The Great Gildersleeve Show. What did Horace Hooker do for a living? And the third question is, what did Dr. Frankenstein use to bring his monster to life? Those are three questions in our regular trivia. You only have to get one out of three. We would love to have a new first-time caller tonight. And we are just loaded with questions we do. here. I got another trivia question. What? All right, folks. Um, I'm a big fan of a senior who was killed in 1950 in an airplane crash. Okay. His big hit it so happened to be one of my dad's all-time favorite songs in 1947. And I'm speaking of the singer named Buddy Clark, and the song he sung was this song. I'm going to ask you, can you tell me who was this named for? So, let's just play this song. your name? Flash, I don't talk to strangers. Oh, I'm no stranger. Been waiting every evening for you to walk by. Keep waiting, I'm still walking. Oh, what's your name? None of your business. Pretty name, but I'll just call you Linda. Well, how did you guess? When I go to sleep, I never count sheep. I count all the charms about Linda. And lately it seems in all of my dreams, I walk with my arms about Linda. But what good does it do me? For Linda doesn't know I exist. Can't help feeling gloomy. Think of all the loving I have missed. We pass on the street, my heart skips a beat. I say to myself, hello, Linda. If only she'd smile, I'd stop her a while, and then I would get to know Linda. But miracles still happen, and when my lucky star begins to shine, with one lucky break, I'll make Linda See you again sometime? Maybe. How about uh, Saturday night? Well... Shall I pick you up at 8? Okay. Oh, boy, that's a date. Bye now. So miracles do happen. 
And now my lucky stars begin to shine With one lucky break I'll make London So I want to know the name Linda, who was it named after? Oh. And the question, and she was a little girl at the time, and she wound up being a, one of the most famous ladies in the world in the 60s and 70s. Can you tell me who is that name for? Her real name is Linda? Her real name is Linda. My goodness, and you said he died in a plane crash? Well, Buddy Clark, the airplane, uh, he sung the song in 1950, and he would die, the, the singer. Did but, he go down in the plane with uh, Patsy Cline? No, no, uh, Patsy Cline died in 1962. Uh, Buddy Clark died, uh, he, was, he was coming from a football game from uh, Stanford down to California, and about six or four people were in the plane, and he was the only one that was killed. And, um, but Many of our performers, especially singers, yes, exclusively singers, have gone down in airplanes. It's just tragic. It's totally tragic. But the song, the songwriter who wrote that just passed away uh, this past year. He was mid-90s, and I saw him perform back at the Old Time Radio Convention in New Jersey, and he told the story. This little girl, Linda, she was four or five years old in 1947, her dad was the songwriter's lawyer. So I want to know who was Linda. And she wound up being one of the most famous uh, Lindas that we know of in the 60s and 70s and 80s. So there's another trivia question for you. You've got a squillion trivia questions <laughs> out there. Okay, so I need to know who Horace Hooker, what he did for a living in the Great Gildersleeve, and where Caesar Salad was born. <laughs> What a potpourri tonight. That's right. That's what we, we love. We love people. We like you to call. Oh, this is so much fun. And a first-time caller, please. please. We have not had a first-time caller tonight. And we won't bar any of our friends from calling in, but if you haven't called it, can you let us be your friend and give us a call at 714-545-2071. And, you know, if you don't know any of those trivia, Patricia got potluck. Oh, boy, she's got a real load of these things. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good, good, good stuff. We love stuff. I love stuff. That's my favorite word, stuff. It covers everything. Stuff. What are you doing tonight? Stuff. stuff. What did you, where did you put the laundry? It's stuff. And I stuffed it. <laughs> good stuff. We've got good stuff. Okay, if we're not going to get a phone call, can we play a show? We can play a show. We can play a show, and then I can charge my battery here, yeah, which is starting to chirp at well, you, it, it's such a good time. It, it's done good. So we, why don't we do that, and that way I can go grab a snack. Oh, there you go, and I can too. Yeah. We're the, okay. We're the, snack kid, we're the snack kids around here, so you don't know that, folks. We, oh, got to get a goodie. Got to get a goodie. So what are we going to play, Patricia? I think number one on your list, we've got two shows tonight. We've got uh, Installing a Wall Safe and Houseboating on Dugan's Lake. I believe you've got Installing a Wall Safe as I number do. one. For I do. I do. I go strictly what Patricia tells me. Oh, uh, isn't this good? He's the only person in my life who does what I want. <laughs> <laughs> 
Watson, you're a treasure, and now you're treasure two times. Aww. This one is kind of unusual. Installing a wall safe, I think it's a funny, funny show to begin with, but it's unusual because it was not done in the studio. It was done at a convention mm -hmm. in San Francisco. It was the, I'll say this out loud, or in all the letters, as it's known by, and then tell you what it is. It was the NRECA convention at the Civic Auditorium in San Francisco, and this was on February 3rd, 1953. And it is, um, it was the National, or is, it's still uh, an organization, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, NRECA. It pulls together, uh, they're, they're actually consumer-owned cooperative electric companies. They're not utilities in the, in the traditional sense. They provide electricity, but they buy it from other places. They're, the um, profits and losses are passed on to customers. It, it's um, uh, independent from, it's, it's a little bit different from what we traditionally expect from an electric company. But I thought it was fascinating that they did a show in front of an audience of 4,000 people. There were 4,000 people at this convention. They stood in front of this 4,000-strong group of people, and they put on a fabulous show. It was really great. Uh, it's installing a wall safe, as only Fibber could do. He chopped a hole in the wall and wanted to put all his valuables in there, and Molly wanted to know what they were. <laughs> of course, they didn't have anything. And I, um, I think it was a bottle top collection or something along those lines, but... I just thought it was a really interesting feature that they did this in front of a huge audience. It was not a studio audience. It was in San Francisco, of all places, and in a civic auditorium. How about that? Pretty nice. I know they did a show in Omaha, Nebraska. They did a couple, yeah. And they did one, I think, in Toronto, Canada, I think. So those are a couple of the others uh, live remote, but it's very rare that they ever went out of the studio. I believe the Toronto one and perhaps the Omaha one, they were Bond Drive associated. Is, is that correct? Uh, I don't remember. I think definitely the Toronto one. And I, I think Black might have been after, but it probably was a, something to do with the... A fundraiser uh -huh, or, uh, or the, maybe the Red Cross or... Or, or, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this one, it struck me as peculiar, and I couldn't find any information about it. So maybe while the show is playing, somebody out there will say, oh gosh, I remember that, and I know how they got there and why if, they did it. If you were in the audience of this show, would you give us a call after the broadcast? And this was not terribly long ago, 1953. That's not a million squillion years That's ago true. anyway. That's true. Um, you know, we're not talking 1931 or mm -hmm. 1932. It's 1953 in the Civic Auditorium, San Francisco. February 3rd, 1953. And the name of the show is Installing a Wall Safe. So with that, I think we can play. So Patricia and I will be back. And After I, our snacks. <laughs> I, that's right. So here we go, everybody. From the NRECA convention in the Civic Auditorium in San Francisco, the Reynolds Aluminum Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> Transcribed with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick LeGrand, and me, Arlo Wilcox. The show is written by Bill Leslie and Pete Fowler and directed by Nick Cotto with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra.
big farmhouse kitchen or in an apartment kitchenette. Women know the best way to keep food is in aluminum foil. And their favorite foil is Reynolds Wrap, the original and genuine pure aluminum. It's the ideal wrap for the foods you freeze, just as it is perfect for the leftovers in your refrigerator. Reynolds Wrap is moisture-proof, odor-proof, and foods wrapped in it freeze faster. That means better flavor, less shrinkage. And this aluminum foil molds around any shape, clings tightly so you don't have to do any taping or tying. For poultry or large cuts of meat, get heavy-duty Reynolds Wrap, half a yard wide. Popular companion to the regular 12-inch standard and jumbo rolls. Be sure to ask by name for Reynolds Wrap, made by the world's largest producer of aluminum foil, the Reynolds Metals Company. <laughs> Mr. McGee of 79 Wistful Vista is chopping a hole in his living room wall. That's him over there in the corner with the hatchet, the chisel, and the eager expression. The lady there in the doorway with her arms full of bundles and her face full of horror is Mrs. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. Ah, now I'm getting someplace. Gee, what in the world are you... Oh. Put down that hatchet before you break a hole in the wall. Well, hi, Molly. I didn't hear you come in. Wait to see what I'm doing, kiddo. What are you doing? And stop it. Hi, my dear. I'm putting in a wall safe. Now stand back so you don't get hit with flying plaster. A wall safe? Yep. Set right there on the floor, Tootsie. What is it? Now, gee, now, there are two things I don't need in my living room. Mm. One is a wall safe, and the other one is you with a hatchet. Mm. Put it down, will you? Look, we're going out to dinner tonight, remember? That's what you promised. Right, and for once in our life, we ain't going to worry about burglars. All our priceless possessions will be safely locked up in our safe. You've got priceless possessions? Boy, certainly. What about my collection of streetcar transfers? <laughs> Including the rare green 1932 one with no holes in it from the Dugan Plate line, which the conductor punched me instead of it when I wouldn't turn it in. <laughs> All that should be handed down to posterity for sure, and yeah. the sooner the better. And don't forget the autograph I got from Dizzy O'Dell, the flagpole sitter. The only guy in his racket that ever painted himself red, white, and blue and come down to half-mast when his mother-in-law died. I forgot that. That would attract any burglar who specialized in hot autographs. Yeah, and how about our jewelry? What jewelry? Why, your string of genuine assimilated artificial pearls. Ones that cost me over 60 bucks to win them on the Elks Club punch board. Well, you want to wear them to dinner tonight? No. When I go out to dinner, I like an oyster cocktail. Well, I mean... And when I wear those pearls, I always feel the oysters are sneering at me. Oh. <laughs> now, you can see how bad we need this wall tape, Molly. So stand back now so the plaster don't hit you. I always... Hold it, hatchet man. Yeah. Come in. Oh, good morning, Dr. Gamble. Hello, my dear. And take a bow to you, Carson Puss. Hi, <laughs> Bill Front. What are you doing with a hand axe, not head? Playing Indian again? He's putting in a wall safe, Doctor. Heaven help me. Oh, no. You're not planning to do a job like that by yourself. Why, certainly I'm going to do it by myself, you big septic. <laughs> what do you think them holes are over there where I picked the wrong spot? <laughs> Is mice to that? Well, don't you worry, Molly. You can get a room at the YWCA when your little one-man wrecking crew brings down the house. 
What are you talking about? Are you suggesting I can't do a simple job like this without tearing the house down? Do you remember the locker room at the Elks Club last week, my boy, when you decided to drive a nail in the wall to hang your clothes on? What happened, Doctor? Practically everything, Molly. He couldn't find a hammer, so he stuck the nail in a crack and belted it with a golf club. Mine, of course. I hit it, too. You certainly did. Yeah. You drove it through the wall into the shower room where old man McDonald of the Third National Bank was taking a shower. Oh. Do any damage, Doctor? Well, the nail apparently went through just as McDonald stooped over to pick up a bar of soap. Made, uh, made quite a change in the old man's business method. Uh, how do you mean, Doctor? Well, he's the only banker in town these days who forecloses mortgages standing up. Go on, Molly. Billy Nelson is talking to the police San Francisco with a special arrangement of Golden Gate. for the wall paint this time, Molly, right over the mantel here. Well, I'm glad you finally made up your mind. Yep. If you'd have chopped any more holes in this wall, the entire house would have crumbled around our ears. <laughs> well, be it ever so crumbled, there's no place like home. My <laughs> <laughs> gosh, don't you get it, kiddo? It's a funny and well-known song that goes... It's funny, McGee. <laughs> well, it sounded funny if I'd have sung it. Be it ever so crumbled... Come in. Hello, Lee. Well, I don't want to think so. You need a duplication, McGee. <laughs> Hi, Ollie. I'm kind of busy here, so don't bother me now. Hey, it's not killing fomites, McGee. The sharp edge of the hatchet don't work for good. No? Try the flat side. <laughs> I'm not killing termites. I'm putting ourselves in a wall safe, boy. McGee, I tell you a hundred <laughs> times, don't call me boy. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. 
You found a boy, I wasted a lot of time shaving. <laughs> okay, always call a fella by his right age. Would you like it if I call you an old man? No, no, because well, you keep calling a boy and he won't let you be an old man. <laughs> okay, it won't happen again. I'll try to remind him, Ollie. See, how's all your family these days? Well, I hope. Well, I hope so, too, Mister. My boy Lawrence is going to the Navy. He's home for a lot of vacation this week. Oh. He gets 10 days, uh, uh... Oh. No, you're Scott here. Oh. He gets 10 days vacation. Oh. I'll bet you were glad to see the lad. How is he? Oh, well, he's just fine, Mrs. So he wants the lad. He got his foot stepped on by an army sergeant on the over. <laughs> an army sergeant? On the over with the feet? No, Lawrence tried to move between the sergeant and the big marine in the San Francisco dance hall. Up, huh? <laughs> yes, they was all jitterbugging, and the sergeant bugged when he should have withered. <laughs> I bet the lad is having fun. Uh, how did you like San Francisco? Oh, well, he gets a big kick out of it, Mrs. Yeah. Of says the people in San Francisco treated him fine, too. They just lean over backwards there. Yeah, to be nice to him, huh? No, to walk up those hills. Oh. <laughs> I understand it's a wonderful town to eat in, too, Ollie. They say the restaurant... Oh, no, see, you swoops and hollers about the seafood out there, missus. Yeah? They ate down on Fisherman's Fort where they baked the 50-pound salmon with all the vegetables cooked inside of it. Hmm. Stop. Missus, you could hardly walk. <laughs> then he went into another place where they were serving a stewed crab that weighed 200 pounds. Oh, cut it out. A 200-pound crab. Ta-ta. McGee, was you ever on Lawson's boat? Oh, of course not. Then how do you know about Lawson's captain days when he's food? So long, Lawson. Now I'm going to go back to work. Where's my hatchet? On the piano? Where's my plaster? What plaster? The plaster I'm going to plaster on the surface when I get it in the Oh, my gosh, I forgot to order any plaster. Bring the phone, I'll call the hardware store. Hello, operator. See the hardware store at 14th and... Whoa! Is that too hard? <laughs> ah, dear. How's our little timer? Is he? What's that? Old oh, stranger at your sister's house. Ten pounds, eh? How sweet. What's the little one's name? They didn't ask him. <laughs> the stranger was selling peanut butter from door to door and they bought ten pounds. <laughs> What's that, boy? Okay. Mine's busy. I'll call later as soon as I finish this shopping on account of because I gotta get. Hello, Molly. Hi, pal. Oh, it's Mr. Wilcox.